Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. Thanks so much for listening. On this edition of the podcast, Michael takes part in a webinar with Robbie Angle and the team from Trueface titled Breaking Your Cycle, a grace-based approach to walking together through unwanted behaviors. Now, all of us have struggled with an addiction or unwanted behavior that we just can't seem to stop. Often in desperation or exhaustion, we tell someone. Unfortunately, many of us aren't sure what to do next. So in this webinar, Michael and Robbie discuss a grace-based approach to walking with another person through unwanted behaviors and toward freedom. Now, this approach will show you how to focus on the person instead of the problem. So without further delay, from Trueface, here's Robbie Angle introducing Michael on the Breaking Your Cycle webinar. Good to see you, friend. I am really excited about this. I am so excited, too. We had so much fun together in June uh, down in Atlanta way filming this, and I can't believe it's already here. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, So I will share uh, a screen in a minute on how to get access to this tool. But I want to give you a little context as to why we partnered with Restoring the Soul and Michael Cusick to build this thing. But uh, if you don't know, Michael is founder of Restoring the Soul. He is he's been a professor. He's a psychotherapist, a trauma specialist, a spiritual director, a speaker, an author. Uh, and more importantly to me, he is a, a friend of mine, a good friend. And uh, any, anything I missed there, Michael? Uh, no, I, I you were going down the list. I was like, who is that guy? A lot. It, it, you've been busy, man. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Robbie Angle. I work with Trueface. So Restoring the Soul and Trueface are both nonprofits. Uh, Restoring the Soul, Michael, focuses on intensive... Uh, counseling sessions for people, all kinds of uh, issues uh, in therapeutic environments in Colorado. And at Trueface, we develop grace-based relational discipleship resources to equip people to experience deeper relationships with God and others. And uh, this, I've been wanting to build this tool for a couple years. And we came out with Crazy Making, a four-part small group study on understanding your sin cycle, which really unpacks chapter four of The Cure. And and I, we needed a tool for two people to go through to process their unwanted behaviors because of a lot of us who get identity, who get grace, we see ourselves as saints who still sin, not sinners, striving to be saints. We know we're adopted, righteous sons and daughters of the king who have been made righteous as saints. But what do we do with this sin thing, especially this this uh, like repeating sin in a lot of our lives? It's this hard thing to understand how to deal with addictions through a lens of grace. And I was talking to my cousin Hall. He called me like six months ago and he was like, hey, uh, I, I'm also a, a licensed professional counselor. I am not practicing, but uh, as the True Face guy in the LPC, uh, my cousin Hall was like, "Hey, uh, this guy at work reached out and said hey, I'm struggling looking at porn. What do I do?" And I'm a professional counselor, and I was like, uh, "You know, I I didn't know how to communicate to him how to walk with somebody through a lens of grace and." A lot. If I don't, I'm assuming a lot of us don't know how to do this, right? So what happens is is we are struggling with an addiction, unwanted behavior. It could be gossiping, eating, spending, drinking, whatever it is. 
And we tell somebody or somebody tells us. And so we do two things, right? We either say, uh, hey, read this thing. Read Surfing for God if it's porn, right? The book Michael wrote. Read this resource. Listen to this podcast. We go to resource or we go, okay, thanks for sharing. Uh, I'll check in. And we call them back in a week and we're like, hey, how you doing? You've been drinking this week or, you know, and it, and it goes to accountability. We don't know how to walk with somebody through a lens of grace because resources and old school accountability ends up focusing on the sin, the behavior, and it just doesn't work. I've been trying all kinds of accountability for like 25 years and it just doesn't work. Right. And so we, we develop tools to help people, help churches, help you apply grace in the context of your relationships. And so we thought no better tool than to create a tool to help you understand addictions, sin through a lens of grace and have a tool to walk with somebody. So this was designed for one person. Um, and I will show it for you to walk with one other person, or uh, a lot of you are probably going to um, check out this resource just for understanding um, addiction. But uh, here I will share the screen. So here's how you get access to this tool. You click this QR code. And so Restoring the Soul and Trueface are both nonprofits. Um, and at Trueface, most everything we offer is free. But we wrestled with this and we said, no, we're going to make this $12.99. And it's a six conversation study designed to help you go through it with one other person and oh, you could do it in a small group. You could do it just for your own context, but it's $12.99 so that you have skin in the game. And you can find that on the True Face Life app. It's free on the website. It has tons of free stuff or uh, by scanning this QR code. So go to the True Face Life app and it's the Breaking Your Cycle uh, experience. And you can check it out there. So I'm going to jump in, Michael. We're going to get to the good stuff and and give some teasers for what we unpack further in the six part conversation of breaking your cycle. But one of the, you know, I, I just alluded to it, um, that, that addiction, um, I mean, we typically go to accountability and it, it doesn't really work. Unpack for us when you hear accountability, why isn't that as, a, as effective when it comes to deep transformation? Well, as you know, Robbie, we we talked about this in the video, and I'm excited for people to be able to hear more about this message because it's so liberating. Uh, and we need liberation on two levels. One is we need libera liberation from these unwanted behaviors and from the cycle that's so compulsive and seemingly so unending. But we also need liberation from an approach that simply doesn't work because that increases shame and it increases pressure. But I was talking to somebody um, about an hour before the webinar began, and it's a, a friend of mine, and the conversation came up about accountability. And they said, and I quote, I hate the word accountability. And I've talked to so many people where that's the case. Uh, but there's no good alternative. So to answer your question, I'll talk about three levels of accountability that helps people to begin to understand this. And I want to say at the outset that there are certain things that we need to simply be accountable for. Uh, if we don't pay our taxes, we are accountable to that and we go to prison. If we don't pay our mortgage or our car payment or um, if if we don't eat breakfast, you know, there's going to be a consequence to that. But in terms of unwanted behaviors, the first level of accountability and these are all kinds of relationships is what I call cop accountability. And that's where, Robbie, I come to you and say that I'm struggling with online football betting. 
I haven't lost thousands of dollars yet, but I don't want to be doing this, you know, for whatever reason, it's not in my budget. And I keep doing it. And I come to you and I say, I need you to hold me accountable. And then the cop model, the idea is that you're going to, you know, have your radar gun. And when I speed, you're going to write me a ticket. And the idea that I'm going to have that negative consequence or that I'm going to feel guilty or that I'm going to feel shame, that that's supposed to motivate me. But really, that's based in a model of what Dallas Willard called sin management. And the problem with that is that as the shame comes, because I will inevitably either lie about what's happening because addicts and compulsives lie, or I'm going to feel pressure that's going to make me feel inadequate and deficient. And if I somehow succeed, then I'm going to feel pride. Like, wow, I did this. I'm great. Most people feel a sense of pressure and weariness, but ultimately the cop approach is that it's external and it doesn't get to the deeper issue. The second approach in accountability is coach. Cop is first, coach is second. And the coach is, I'm going to come and inspire you and encourage you and help you to perform better. But in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, to these people who are excellent at performing, the Pharisees, he says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me and your Mm -hmm. worship is in vain. God wants our heart, not our performance. And the problem with coach accountability is that it's all about performing and performing leads to pressure or pride. The third kind of accountability, and I think people will go, oh, this is the good one, is cardiologist. Cop coach, cardiologist. A cardiologist is concerned with the welfare of someone's heart. So if our hearts are far from the place that we want them to be, we need someone to attend to our heart. And at this point, I throw in another word and I say that accountability becomes excess ability. And I think what God wants more than obedience is access to the real us. He wants the real me to show up. And therefore, when we sit down and have conversations like we help people to have in this video series, we're actually moving into the realm of accessibility. And that's when community, even one-on-one, becomes super powerful that helps transform us from the inside out. Yeah, it is uh, focusing on this the sin under the cop and and the coach, what you just said in regards to the performance equals pressure and and pride that that's been a lot of what i've experienced um that that missed out on that accountability heart issue because um and, and that word of accessibility I, I wrote down from when we were recording uh the the conversation in regards to accessibility you said connection is the antidote to addiction why is that the case and how, how does accessibility how is that correlated to to um the the cardiologist type accountability Yeah well I have to give credit for that statement that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety but connection that that mm-hmm. that's from Johan Hari who gave a TED talk that can be found online called Rat Park and uh it's all about this study that was done with rats And um, that is ultimately true because an addiction is a kind of relationship. Uh, One of my favorite definitions of addiction, and I taught addictions classes to counselors for years. And I would I would on the first day, I would take out all these different definitions and explore them and look at why certain ones were valid and others were not. Uh, An addiction is an unhealthy 
mood-altering relationship with a person, a substance, or a behavior. And I'll say that again. It's a mood-altering relationship with a mood, an unhealthy mood-altering relationship with a person, a substance, or a behavior. And so we relate to, we attach to, we give ourselves over to these behaviors to put wind in our sails, to lift us up, to give us a sense of comfort, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of significance, to allow us to feel soothed or allow us to feel secure. And if we don't replace that addictive compulsive relationship with an actual relationship where we can get that same need met, either in real time or with a real person, the way that God designed, then we'll either replace that behavior with something that's still unwanted um, or we'll continue to struggle with it. That that principle that addiction is a type of relationship uh, uh, speaks to how the cardiologist approach is that we have to process in the context of relationship. It, part of this is is that uh, addiction is so correlated to self deception. Like it, it's so hard to see it properly. What. Why is that the case? And how is the power of relationship to to counter w- with another person so valuable in the self-deception in, in helping us understand and see it more properly? Because we are having an unhealthy relationship with that. I love that person, substance, or addiction that alters our mood. Yeah. So this idea of self-deception is really massive. And how do we get out of self-deception? If I'm deceiving myself, how can, how, you know, that's, that's an endless kind of circle. Well, we need relationship. We need other people to help reflect the truth to us. It was Gerald May in his brilliant book, Addiction and Grace, who said that self-deception is the chief characteristic of addiction. And I won't unpack this whole uh, idea now. I think we go into it in the videos, but uh, James chapter one is where we see self-deception. And First John, uh, John chapter 1 is where we see self-deception. And Romans 1, where Paul talks about how we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The part of our unrighteousness is not about, you know, whether our heart is black. Uh, that's just not the case, because we are new and we have new hearts in Christ. But part of that unrighteousness is how we take the beach ball of the truth of our lives and the truth of who we are, and we push it under the water and we say, that's not really a problem, or tomorrow I can quit, or this really won't happen again, or as soon as I confess to someone, the desire is going to go away. And ultimately, self-deception is broken through humility of saying, God, I'm going to trust you with who I really am. And it's broken in relationship as we entrust ourselves to others who are safe people, who can see beyond the struggle and beyond the addiction to our real heart. It is encouraging that I I think 500 people signed up for this webinar live and more will be listening to this on podcasts or after the fact. But so many of us have unwanted behaviors. I do. And you do, as we talked more about our own addictions on on the breaking your cycle. But our hope in creating this tool is that we have friends in other uh, sexual addiction, substance abuse, recovery ministries, counseling agencies, addictions everywhere. And we don't know how to walk with the people that we love or walk with somebody through our unwanted behaviors without it going into that addiction. So if you're tuning into this, uh, 
if you go to the True Face Life app, you can get these six conversations. And again, the goal is to have just enough skin in the game. So we made it twelve ninety nine. Everything else is practically free. It is pretty much every resource is free other than this one because we want that skin in the game. And if that is a barrier, email me and we'll give you free access to this uh, because we don't want it to be a barrier. We just want a commitment because of the the weight and intentionality in this. And just like in counseling, uh, you want some skin in the game for that buy-in. And the fact that so many of you have signed up to this to learn how to walk with somebody, how to process your own addictions through a lens of grace is just such a blessing to us because that's why Restoring the Soul and True Face exists to serve you with tools to how to move into freedom that Jesus provided. And these sin cycles are real. So I want to unpack the sin cycle a little bit, Michael, with you. Uh, we talk about this further, but there, there's a pattern and a cycle that all of us go through in our addictions. What, what, what are those four parts to the addiction cycle that we go through? Well, this is where I'm going to need your help, Robbie, because we had lengthy conversation about what words we would use here. Oh, yeah. And, we, you know, desire to yep, fixation, fixation to surrender and then shame. Right. And and um, we took some time to think about that because the wording is really important. And a lot of different approaches and helpful programs use different words like celebrate recovery and uh, secular 12-step groups and and other folks that we hope to get this series into their hands. So the first piece is desire. And um, with most unwanted behaviors, if I want to go online and do football betting, if I want to go on Craigslist and buy more stuff, if I if I who collect watches want to go and buy a watch or simply to go online and to look at watches for the purpose of giving me excitement, save that picture, put it in my folder, and then that's the watch that I'm going to want. See, we don't actually have to engage in the behavior. There's a kind of ritual that can happen that can be just as compulsive. And with what happened in the Middle East a week ago, I have been absolutely compulsively glued to my phone, and I've deleted some apps and then re-downloaded them. What's going on there? And I say that because people who are watching may think, I'm going to get the key. I'm going to I'm going to listen to this uh, webinar and do the series. And I'm going to I'm going to deal with all my addictions and freedom happens. Absolutely. That's my story. That's your story. But then we continue to live in this process of shedding our skin. Desire is key to understand what's really going on below the surface that we're longing for. Mm -hmm. Um, We we are beings who long, who yearn who desire. Psalm 37, 4, most people focus on the front part of that, delight yourself in the Lord. But the second part is, and he will give you the desires of my heart. So I'll often stop and ask people, well, what do you long for? What do you want? What is your heart really seeking? And it was Thomas Aquinas, the great 13th century philosopher and considered one of the greatest theologians of all time, who said that beneath every sinful behavior is a legitimate God-given appetite. So the first thing in the cycle is for people to be aware that what is beneath their struggle, whether it's with overeating, which has been a lifelong struggle for me, whether it's with some kind of sexual behavior, whether it's with shopping, anger, Bible study. If there's something that we're doing that we can't stop doing, we're in bondage to it. And what the root is, is not sin, but legitimate God-given desire. I'm going to pause for a minute and 
ask me a question or comment because you know how radical this idea is for many people. Well, before going on to fixation, because yeah, yeah. that desire piece connected to our heart, we talked a little bit about our primary needs that we have desires for those to be met of being seen and soothed and safe and secure. Those needs I hear you saying are not bad in themselves. Uh, like we have real desires and needs that uh, we have real needs that those that we have desires to be met. And then whether it's an, in a healthy or unhealthy way is where we get off because then the fixation and then the surrender and the shame cycle happens. But anything about seeing soothe, safe and secure and how those needs are connected to desire? Yeah, I, I have a new book coming out in the fall uh, called Love Has You. And that book unpacks this idea of the four S's, seen, soothe, safe, secure. And from a clinical, secular, developmental psychology and a neuroscience uh, perspective, being seen, soothed, safe, and secure are four core needs of every human being from the womb to the tomb. So if you are a hundred years old or if you're one week old, we need to be seen. We need people to gaze into our eyes. We need people to see us step into the world and go, yes, that's incredible. Or you swung at the wiffle ball and you missed. It's all right. Give it another try. We need that kind of attunement to be seen. We need to be soothed. So instead of falling down, hitting our head, scraping our knee and somebody saying, don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about. But the parent, the caregiver that lifts that child up into their arms and says, it's okay, I've got you. That's part of the soothing. Soothing can be physical, but also emotional. Safety, that sense that, um, that, that, that sense that I am protected from harm, that there are boundaries in my life when I'm young and when I'm old that are modeled for me, and then a sense of security that I am okay, that I don't have to be autonomous and independent and completely take care of myself. I can't get my needs met, so I've got to do that on my own, but that love has me. Mm. God's got me. Now, here's the thing. Those are four nervous system, neurological needs in our body that we can't just take truth from the Bible or from listening to a podcast and say, okay, now I understand. We actually have to have them trickle down into our body and to become internalized inside of us. So those four core needs are beneath everything else. And then in Surfing for God, I talk about seven peripheral needs, and I'll run through these really quick. If you're going, I'm not sure what seeing, soothe, safe, secure is, uh, we have a longing for four A's, attention, affection, affirmation, mm -hmm. acceptance, four legitimate God-given needs, and then significance, uh, satisfaction, and then security, which is that sense that love has me. So pulling this back into the 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 cycle, um, tell me where desire connected to our needs leads to then walk me through the cycle of of then fixation and surrender and shame. Walk me through that cycle. Yeah, absolutely. I would take people to Jeremiah chapter two, verses 12 and 13. And and uh, God bless you, Robbie. Um, Thank you. The, the scripture says, uh, God's talking through Jeremiah and, and God says, my people have committed two sins. They've turned from me, the spring of living water, and they've turned away and they've dug broken cisterns. Issue number one, God is the source of the satisfaction of all of our desires and longings. And of course, through his gifts of human beings, relationship, the beauty, truth, and goodness in the world. But he's the source of that. We turn away 
and we get out a shovel and we dig a well. And the Bible says that they're broken cisterns. And this is really the metaphor par excellence of addiction, because think of a cup or a bowl that has a crack in it. It's a big crack. So you pour water into that bowl or cup and the water just leaks right out. So I've got to keep going back to that well to fill it up. But I try to fill it and I pour it in and it just leaks out. And this is where the scriptures are brilliant. And Jesus is so brilliant is that's really the model of addiction. Then we know that addiction and compulsion begins to affect our nervous system and wire our pathways in a certain way. That's why in Surfing for God, I included a whole chapter on how our brains get wired by addictive and compulsive behavior and especially pornography. So the desire are these thirsts and longings inside of us. Because we turn away from the source, we become fixated on that behavior, substance, person that seems to satisfy that longing. But it's a longing and a desire that's satisfied that's within our control. But because there's a crack in the the the, the pitcher, the bowl, the cup, it's going to leak. And now I have to keep going back and back and back. And I can't control that any longer. It becomes out of control. And this is why all 12-step programs and many approaches to dealing with addiction and compulsiveness is to surrender control or to acknowledge our powerlessness at the beginning and to say, God, only you can restore me to wholeness. Only you can bring me forth into a place of freedom. So that all right walk me through that more cuz i how does that lead into the fixation piece and then actually surrendering to buy something look at porn and then that sh- spiral of shame back to desire yeah so i'll use the example of watches uh i grew up lower middle class in a blue collar family and so somewhere along the way it's actually in second grade made my first communion in the catholic church i was given this beautiful kid watch i lost it on the way to Sunday school, on the way to catechism. And I cried and it was really a deep disappointment. But as I grew, there were kids in my school that were quote wealthy and from richer families. And I start to realize they've got nice things and I don't, you know, I've got the Kmart tennis shoes, so to speak. And along the way, I realized one of the really cool things that successful men have are really nice watches. And so I'd start to focus on watches and I'd start to say, if I had that watch, then I'd be somebody. If Mm -hmm. I had that watch, then I would be a successful man, even though inside I didn't feel successful and I was full of shame and anxiety. So when I'm feeling depressed, when I'm feeling sad, when I'm feeling anxious, generally one of the things that I can do, like let's just say that my wife and I are sitting on the couch. I pick up my phone and, you know, she's watching a show or sending emails, pick up my phone and I might check my email. And then I find myself going to a website with watches and I've got, you know, my list of top three watches and that kind of thing. And what that does is that fixation on it expands my soul. It begins to release chemicals in my brain and, The neural pathways kick in, and it literally gives me a sense of well-being. In Psalm 24 and 25, there's this contrast between um, he who lifts up his soul to an idol and he who lifts up his soul to the Lord. And, And I like that phrase because whatever I turn to to fixate on lifts me up. It gives me this lift, lift, which is why the addiction definition is it's mood altering. From that place of fixation, 
at some point, I'm going to surrender to that person, to that object, to that substance and give into it. And that's what we call the acting out, the sinful behavior, the relapse, whatever it is. Okay. And then that inevitably leads to shame. And as you guys talk so brilliantly about in all the True Face materials, it's not just shame that's like, whoops, I screwed up because that's guilt. And in the video series, we make the distinction between guilt and shame, but it's, oh, there's something really wrong with me. I'm unlovable. I'm bad. I'm deeply flawed. I'm inadequate. Um, Nobody would love me for who I really am. And I'm never now going to get my needs met by depending on others because there's something so wrong with me. Then that shame comes back around to my desire. And now there's another level of pain attached to my desire. Because Proverbs 13 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now I have deferred hope for that longing and shame added in. And it becomes like a bundle of sticks. And every time we act out, it throws gas on that stick. That is the crazy making cycle. Like desire, fixation, builds the anticipation, surrender to it. And then I have the shame that that fuels the need of desire because those needs of seeing Sue safe and secure are unmet because I'm an idiot. I failed, whatever that shame message is. And what you said about um, turning away from the source at that desire, God-given desires, we just look to the wrong things and become fixated on the wrong sources. Uh, that is where w- without objectivity um, and with without connection, we're stuck in that cycle. And that is the power that we're, we're tuning into this going, how do we help love and walk with each other? And as cardiologists, to unearth it, to have handles and perspectives of the desire and asking questions about that desire and and preventing the fixation into surrender into shame cycle. That's the gift we get to provide for each other. And at any point, we talked about how we can break this cycle by um, coming into the light, um, to, to not be hidden, to share this with somebody else. And for anybody listening to this, that's our prayer for all of us, that these handles, these frameworks can help us walk with somebody to move into the light. And we'll unpack further. We don't have time today, but the healthier cycle looks like desire does not change. But an attentiveness to that desire, pointing us back to the source, we get to then surrender not to the act and the and the 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 unhealthy way, but to healthy response to that surrender to that desire. That looks like relationships. It could look like receiving from God what He has to offer us, and that that helps us live into our true identity as saints instead of the lie of our identity that we're failures as shame. And we unpack. I care different ways to be aware of what's going on in that cycle. And as I want to get to Q and a Michael uh, for people uh, listening to this um, for their own life, their ministries, they're a part of with their friends, with their own addiction cycle. What is your hope or encouragement for us before we go to, to Q and A's for any, any of us in this, in understanding these cycles? That's a great question, Robbie. We talked a lot about that as we were together in June filming this. My first hope is that people will find hope because when you're struggling with an unwanted behavior, whether it's something kind of benign or whether it's, you know, life threatening, like many addictions can be, or whether it would put you in jail because you cross certain lines or whether it makes you bankrupt. 
that people would find hope that there's a way out, that there's a way that you can access and move into the abundant life that Jesus promised. Because even though many of these things feel and promise fulfillment, happiness, joy, it is bondage. And that robs us from the freedom that we were created to experience joy and peace. Um, and and then I, I hope that people get clarity, clarity about what their desires actually are. There can be so much dignity restored and so much shame taken off of us when we when we begin to realize, oh my gosh, my desires are not the problem. It's how I mishandle my desires based on a lot of experiences that I've had about relationship. And then finally, I think, and this is always kind of secret in my heart whenever I'm teaching about anything related to the soul and addiction. I, I think finally, I would hope that people have a greater sense of healing about who God is. We all need our image of God healed. We have beliefs about God in our head, but really what plays out on a day-to-day basis is what picture of God we have in our head and what he's really like. And I want to just say that I spent so much of my life as a young Christian and even recently thinking that, okay, what I need to do with this compulsive behavior is I just need to turn back to God, turn back to God, turn back to God, because Jeremiah 2.13 says that he's the source, he's the source, so I just need to focus on him and spend more time with him. But I would say, yes, and when it says that he's the source of living water, I would I would put in parentheses, all healing relationship is living water. So oftentimes, it's easier for the person that doesn't want to come clean with their behavior, whether that's something shameful or stigmatizing or not, it's easier to just go to God and talk to him about it and say, please take this away or bring me freedom, when really what's required is the humility of entrusting myself to another person. So the living water may very well be the person that you do this six-week course with, and God uses that person and some of this curriculum to help break you. So God is the source of living water, but it's always his gifts, including his people, and it's always relationship in which we're healed. And it's virtually impossible, if not impossible, to break free from something that is habitual and compulsive in isolation. Let it be so, God. Man, that is my hope. And I'm I'm going to start this with a friend uh, who, in his humility, reached out recently and said, "Hey, I'm struggling with this thing, and with the with Christ in me and the Holy Spirit in me to to be able to love Him alongside the Holy Spirit, and you know, in that vertical and horizontal relationship, the beautiful way God designed us." in that love God and love others. And this is the way of following Jesus. Um, that's our hope um, that this tool helps you do that and know how to do it. I built this for myself because I don't know how to do it well. And so I'm I'm going to do this with him uh, and process these questions. So there's a QR code to access this course. Or if you are listening to this without the video, just go to download the True Face Life app and click on breaking your cycle. And it's six conversations. And a conversation is really a 10-minute 
conversation, uh, a 10 minute thought principle of teaching between Michael and I setting up the gold, which is about four open ended questions for you and one other person or a small group to process or even individually. And then at the end, we leave you with a a resource, uh, some good questions to check in with each other on a consistent basis to just go use those questions and check in with those questions on an ongoing basis to provide a path, um, some rails to walking with somebody as a cardiologist um, in love and understanding their desires and their heart leading to the addictions, because that is, that is the innate source that we just replace lies with we, we replace truth with lies and we go to unhealthy sources and we are normal in that process. That's part of this maturing sanctification process. So cross off, you want to come back in. Uh, I say we get to some Q and A's and get into some, some answers or at least try. Yeah, this has been incredible stuff. <clears throat> and I think for probably for the two of you, one of the things we talk about sometimes is, people do the same thing and expect a different result. Right. And that's crazy making or whatever. And in this context, sometimes people are doing the same thing, but just saying, I'm going to do it harder. I'm going to do it better. So it doesn't, it take us longer to realize that what we're doing isn't working because we think next time around, I'm just going to try harder. Robbie, you want me to feel that? (laughs) Yeah. Jump in. Yeah, I I think part of the process in the fixation is coming to a place of realizing that trying harder is not going to fix the problem. For me, it took 14 years as a believer to come to the end of myself to say, I've got no game. I can't do this. I am powerless. I'm 59 years old. A year ago, November 1st, 2022, I had to admit to a group of people, to dear friends, to my family, and to my sponsor, that I am a compulsive overeater and addicted to sugar, and that I'm powerless to do anything about it. Because I've had so many diets where I've lost 20 pounds, 30 pounds, gained it back, lost 40 pounds, gained it back. And I said to myself, to God and my best friend, I will not go on another diet to do this again. That is crazy making. And what the solution was, was powerlessness. See, that striving and trying harder is a burden that we were never meant to carry, and we can't live the Jesus abundant life because Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 to 30 in the message, I will never lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, so come to me to to learn to live freely and lightly, and you will recover your life. So that trying harder, I would say very respectfully, good luck with that, but you can actually give that up. That's the invitation of Jesus. I I think of like my own life. And if pride is the chief sin and humility is the chief virtue, uh, pride, I like to think of just as a definition means I can. I want to be in control. I want to be I don't want to need God. Humility says I can't. And with, with my patterns of addiction and I wake up every day wanting to think I can and uh, it is then in humility that humility unlocks 
grace and it unlocks me trusting God and others with myself. And that is the gift of grace that's unlocked when we come to the end of ourselves. And so what an opportunity to experience love, to receive love, to let God love us and others love us in this space of, hey, I've done this a lot of times and it's not working. I I, I would love to process with you and let you love me, God and one other person. That's the gift of yeah. this journey. And I wake up every day not wanting to do the humble surrender game. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, Robbie, uh, that that whole idea of what you said and tying back to self-deception, the big self-deception is saying, I can overcome this. I will overcome this through my effort and through trying harder. And the good news is I don't have to. Can I make one quick comment? Because I'm not seeing the questions, but something popped up. I don't know why I saw this. I think it's really important. Somebody said, I'm an introvert. And connection with people can be exhausting and overwhelming. And how does connection help? And I think a lot of people will benefit from this. Connection always has three levels of connection. There's a connection to our own being. There's a connection to self, our body, mind, emotions, and will, which is what the soul is, connection to self. Then there's connection to others. And then there's connection to God. And if I'm not connected to myself, my connection to God will be at best cognitive and intellectual. And if I'm not connected to myself when I'm connected with others, it may not really be a connection. And there might be parts of me that are really being held back. And therefore, if my deepest desire is to be loved and known, which I believe is the deepest desire of humanity, then I'm going to come up empty every time in that relationship. So I honor the introverts. I thought my whole life I was an extrovert and I'm an ambivert. I'm right on the line. And I need to I need to get away and connect to myself. Then I've got the energy to go to others. Yeah, that's great. Michael, I'm looking at the exact question that you're looking at. And I actually wanted to ask you the question up above that, which was written by an anonymous attendee who wanted to ask about, will you be addressing how to live with someone with addictions or problematic behaviors? We don't address that in the videos, except to say that this will actually help you to understand what's going on. You know, if you are in a relationship with someone with any kind of compulsive behavior, it will be crazy making to you. And what I would say right now, this is the mantra of Al-Anon for people that live with alcoholics. Uh, you didn't cause it. You can't control it. You can't cure it. And that knowledge in your head won't help as much as integrating that into your body, because that's a journey to learn how to surrender um, changing the person's behavior. I would also turn to the serenity prayer which originally wasn't in the 12 steps. A 1930s German theologian by the name of Reinhold Niebuhr wrote a long prayer and AA borrowed the beginning of it. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So if you're living with someone with an addiction or compulsion, pray that prayer. And it's a very biblical prayer. And you can even Google Reinhold Niebuhr and find the rest of it because it's beautiful. It's just a beautiful prayer. That's great. Robbie, do you mind putting up that QR code again real quick while I ask Michael this next question? So, Michael, someone wanted you to expand on the comment you said, and that's the QR code where you guys can go directly to our app where Breaking the Cycle is there. And, and what Michael was just referring to, you know, instead of trying harder, what if we tried a different approach? And that's what these conversations are all about. 
Robbie and Michael also do some modeling in, in, in Breaking the Cycle where they actually demonstrate how to have some of these conversations, which is incredibly powerful. There's questions for you that you can go through. Um, and somebody asked, does the TrueFace app look like a fingerprint? Yes, that's exactly what it looks like. You can scan that code. It will take you directly there. So, Michael, the question was this, that you made the comment, my issue isn't with my desire, but how I handle my desire based on what I've learned in my relationships. Can you expand on that? Yes. Um, my friend, Kurt Thompson, who's a psychiatrist who wrote a book called The Anatomy of the Soul and most recently, The Deepest Place. He says that God inherits the same neural networks that we have in relation to other people. So we come into the world and our brain is being formed up until we're about 26, 27 years old. And we either develop the apparatus to live in a way where we can be seen, soothed, safe, and secure, and other people relate to us in a way where we can feel secure in our own skin. But research says that only about 60% of Americans have this secure kind of attachment where we feel comfortable in our own skin to be able to get our needs met reliably by another person who is safe, who soothes us, and who sees us. And so when I say that um, that that God gets those same neural networks, we have these neural pathways toward these behaviors, and we have to begin to let those neural pathways be rewired. So uh, we oftentimes don't have a reference point for love to say, oh, love, God is love. I can turn to him and, he, and, and allow him to be the one to handle our pain. We have to, um, like a muscle or like training for a marathon, this idea of learning how to steward our pain and to uh, trust God and others with our pain versus mishandling our pain, that happens over time. And honestly, that's what the word discipleship is. Mm. Jesus didn't invite us to be his followers by saying, okay, now that you've understood and you're going to do it just right, I want you to follow me. He said, um, pick up your nets and follow me. And you're going to lose your life, your way of doing things, your way of trying to find happiness and satisfaction. You're going to surrender that over time and you're going to find life in me. And you're going to be able to handle and steward your pain in a way that actually makes you more alive. And it makes you more of who you're meant to be as opposed to less. My, I, I, I love that, Michael, just the connection between trust being like a muscle that we work out. And as desire leads to, if I become more attentive instead of fixated on what's happening in order to surrender to God and others, that conduit of trust to then trust God to meet the needs, to replace those lies that I'm fixated on with truth, to let you love me, to let you in in my life as you've done as a friend to love me. That trust muscle is this way of following Jesus of discipleship, of practicing and getting quicker to trust God and trust you with my sin. Right. And Robbie, I'll just come back to this point. It's so important. To the degree that we've been seen, soothed, safe, and secure, those four core needs for a healthy, secure attachment, to the degree that we get those, that's the ability that we have to trust. Mm. That is the foundation of a kind of pyramid that if we don't get those sufficiently, we will struggle to trust others. We'll either be anxiously working up trying to trying to secure that relationship that they won't abandon us or rejection us, or we'll pull back and we'll avoid 
that intimacy and that connection to get our needs met. And in either of those, it's up to us to get our needs met as opposed to surrendering to love. Gosh, even in the vertical this morning, I was praying like about some anxiety stuff I'm feeling and going, God, like I'm not feeling safe. Like you've got me out on this thing and I don't feel like you've got my back here. And processing that with God, I was quicker. I think I'm maturing because I was quicker to identify attentiveness and go to God and say, like, I, I, I want to surrender and trust you more deeply in order to experience that like you that freedom to replace that lie of anxiety of this and that in my life. And I, I want to be quicker and better at doing that uh, five years from now. And I think I'm quicker and better at doing that than I was five years ago. And it's still hard every day. And that's the process of discipleship, which is, yeah, and maturing. That's, yeah, I, I love that. All right. I, I've hijacked it. Ben, Benjamin, I'll step back and let you go to another question. Good. We, we have eight minutes left. If you want to, you can go back to full screen. I, we're just going to fire away with a few others. But I, Michael, I wanted to give you a opportunity while everyone is here. A few people are asking about your book. You said it comes out this fall, correct? Yeah, that's correct. I, I think I referred to Surfing for God, which I wrote in 2012, and that's called Surfing for God, Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle. And that's my personal story out of sex addiction, but also a model of healing for men. Uh, it's applicable to women, but it's written for men. Others have found it helpful for things like eating issues, etc. But the new book is with InterVarsity Press, and that's coming out in the fall of 2024. It's called Love Has You. Subtitled to be uh, determined, but it's really all about how these four needs of being seen, soothed, safe, and secure are the foundation for our um, ability to attach securely to God and to rest deeply in His love. Yeah, that's great. And uh, a lot of people uh, in the chat stream were talking about how they listen to your podcast. They're big fans. It's it's extremely helpful for them. Um, so that that's awesome. And we just. We appreciate you guys um, and and you and partnering up with us on all of this. We're, gr- oh, we're very I'm, grateful. I'm so you. I'm so honored to to be able to do this. I love True Face. I love Robbie, and I love what you guys do. So, Robbie, somebody asked if it was possible for you to do this uh, conversation, the break your cycle conversation, with a couple of different people, all being one on one, but at the same, you know, four or five different people. Can you go through it at the same time? Yeah, I mean. If you're a, um, if you have the margin emotionally or time wise uh, to walk with multiple people through this, this this hopefully would be a great framework. And a conversation looks like, hey, Michael, let's do these uh, conversations. I'd love to walk with you through them. So all we do is we watch the ten minute video sometime during the day, and then let's have a fifteen to twenty minute conversation at 445 on the drive home on Tuesdays for the next six weeks. Uh, you can set it up, do it on your own time frame, And so you can slide these in and just going, hey, all right, what are our four questions today? The first one typically is what stood out to you or what resonated in that 10 minute video? And then the other three are more personalized to the topic of the video. So you can do that with, uh, I, I think there's a group that wants to try this in a smaller group uh or one on one or with multiple people um beyond your mask is another true face conversation that we built and it is eight conversations to walk together with somebody to unpack identity and theology and view of god and self and uh i i think 
a friend of mine in Montana, Craig Anderson, he's, he's doing that with multiple people at the same time. And so I'm sure if y'all have got the bandwidth, you could do this with multiple people, but, and the whole goal is we provide tools to help equip you to apply these truths in your relationships, in the circles of influence God's given you. So this came out of, of, y'all asking us to build this tool for you because restoring the soul and true phase, we, we are, we exist to serve our brothers and sisters with, you know, environments and counseling intensives and with tools and resources at true phase. So let us know what you need. Uh, this came out of y'all asking, uh, for tools and resources. So we hope it helps. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Michael, someone asked, if you are a spouse of someone addicted, is it wise to be the person who goes through breaking your cycle with them? Or is it better to have somebody else? I would say it's not wise. And the reason for that is that there's a sense of safety that the person who's the addict uh, probably needs, that it could be activating and dysregulating and potentially even cause some trauma and significant anxiety by doing that. Um, I would say that after long periods of sobriety or freedom, that it could be helpful just to kind of get to know each other. But for the purposes of breaking free, I would say to do it with somebody outside of the marriage or the relationship. Yeah, that's great. All right. We're going to go last question. I told everybody we're going to be respectful of their time. I know we could talk all day, all day. So John asked a question. Um, what role might spiritual warfare play in addictions? And that's interesting because. A friend of mine who just passed away at 90 years old, who's been involved in all kinds of um, uh, like addiction, leading addiction recovery groups. He always would talk to me about how there's this point where something goes from an addiction to what he would call a stronghold. And I don't know if he was referring to it in the spiritual terms like John's referring to, but it is an interesting question. Like, where does spiritual warfare and the enemy and all of that come into play with all of this? Fantastic question, and I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, I was in Wichita two weeks ago at the Apprentice Gathering, and I saw some names on here where some of those people were in my workshops, and I did a workshop called Spiritual Formation and Spiritual Warfare. And it's usually not talked about because spiritual warfare is often, that's for the Charismatics, the Pentecostals, and yet it's a reality in our lives. Um, I, I think that you're exactly right. It plays out in the form of beliefs and lies. Um, I do believe that there are demonic realities that we deal with. There are also powers and principalities, which are these much bigger belief systems and structures. But 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says the weapons we fight with in this battle are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds, every belief and lie that stands in the way of knowing God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Well, anybody who's been around the block trying to get rid of an unwanted behavior has probably said, my pastor, a podcast, my friend told me to take these thoughts captive, right? Lust, thinking about whatever it is that we're going to do. But the problem is we try to take the thoughts captive without demolishing the stronghold. And in Surfing for God, I have, I have a whole chapter on this invisible battle on spiritual warfare. And I wrote Surfing for God right when Osama bin Laden was uh, captured. And I say that Applying 2 Corinthians 10, 7, taking things captive without demolishing the stronghold is like the Navy SEALs flying into Pakistan, knocking on the door and saying, oh, hello, Mrs. Bin Laden. We'd like to talk to your husband. That's not how it worked. They had to demolish the compound and take out the people inside. And the stronghold 
are the beliefs and lies that have been internalized that have come against us like shame. The evil one primarily uses shame and accusation. Revelation 12 tells us that we have an accuser, but we overcome him by the blood of the lamb. Sometimes that means literally praying the blood of Jesus, and other times it means I'm standing in the reality of what Christ did on the cross. So we have to identify as part of this process, and we get into this in the video series, not about spiritual warfare, but about the beliefs and lies. What do I believe about myself? Oh, I'm unworthy. I'm a bad person. I'm inadequate. I'm unlovable. Nobody could love me for who I really am. I'll never change. Those kinds of things. As we begin to identify those, there's a spiritual power that breaks, and God has given us that divine power to demolish that stronghold. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's incredible. The questions keep coming in, but again, I told everybody we would be respectful of their time. Info at trueface.org. If you guys want to continue this discussion, we'll get to as much of it as we can. Again, you can follow um, Restoring the Soul podcast, talk about a lot of this stuff, and uh, check out Breaking Your Cycle to just open up the conversation. That's a, a lot of what this did. And you guys both acknowledge that there sometimes there are people in situations they need to get immediate professional help, right? But this is Absolutely. a place where... We're opening up the discussion or, Michael, to your point, sometimes it's just been just between God and I. And now I'm going to the, the living water is going to have to come in the form of a relationship with another person. And that's what this is all about. Six sessions, conversations set up. Would love for all of you to check this out. Pass this along to somebody. We'll give you access to this webinar that you can forward to some people uh, for them to have an opportunity to listen to it. Um, but, Robbie, thank you so much for your time. Michael, thank you for what you're doing and being so generous with your time with us. Grateful for you and grateful for all of you who took time out of your schedule um, to be a part of this. We love you. We're grateful for you. Email us uh, if there's anything that we can do to help and just be looking for more resources like this coming down the pipeline. Love you guys. Thank you. Have a great rest of the day. So thank you for listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. What we're all about is helping couples and individuals get unstuck. You know how some people go to counseling or marriage therapy for months or even years and never really get anywhere? Our intensive programs help clients get unstuck in as little as two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com. Thank you.